You are listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Driving in my car yesterday and I had one of these uh, alerts come up on the dash that said my rear tire on the driver's side was negative 13. You know, which means basically it's almost flat. Negative. Like, yeah, on the air pressure. Negative BSI? Negative. Well, it was down below where it was oh, supposed to be. Okay. In other words, you know, it's, there's optimal PSI and then there's plus or minus. Negative PSI would mean it's like sucking. Sucking it. Air. Yeah. Well, it sucked. Yeah. So I pulled over <laughs> and I look and I was like, oh, you know, that seems fine. But I look and I was like, there's a freaking nail in it. I was like, God dang it. All right. So I, I, Stop what I'm doing. I go right to the uh, discount tire store. And here's here's what I've noticed. Have you, You've been to discount tire store, right? Yes. Have you noticed that every time you go there, and I don't go there a lot, it's always freaking crowded? Yeah, everybody's there. Uh, why is that? No it's matter just what tires. Time. No matter any day of the week, it could be the middle of the day on a Wednesday, it's crowded all the time. Here's my business idea for you. I'm going to go around the country. I'm going to buy the building next to a discount tire store and I'm going to open a tire store. <laughs> I'm just going just to get, just to get the overflow. Second chance tires or you know whatever it is. It's for all the people that pull up to discount tire store and go short oh, weight tires, short weight tires. There you go. It's short weight tires. Now, if I don't want to hold inventory, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set up a lounge like a, like a Admiral's club at the airport. Yeah. Just have like free snacks, free snacks, drinks, comfortable chairs, TV going, because have you ever been to the, the waiting area at a, at a tire store? It's the worst experience, little crappy little chairs. They got a road and track magazine from 1998 or something like that. And it's, it's just miserable. It's they not do, comfortable. And then, then they have waters, but they're the little four ounce ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, waters and, like the and size coffee. Of coffee that tastes like it it's from a, it's from a muffler station, yeah, yeah it's it's from the oil that they drain out it, it is the worst experience and i do not know how these places are busy all of the time why do people need tires that often i think discount i think what they're doing is they're, they're throwing nails. the nails on the ground <laughs> they're spreading nails everywhere. Yeah, they're, they're spreading nails everywhere and that's how they're drumming up business but i'm gonna i'm gonna get into that business because it's got to be lucrative as hell yeah well you know there's always a need for it for sure for sure yeah and you have no option that's where they, they've got you that's how they get you. they get the inelastic demand of tires they've capitalized on that. oh right because the guy says all right these are going to be like 800 dollars a piece i'm like well okay i mean like yes. i don't I, that's what, what i have to do, do drive to the competitor and see if he's got a better deal on a flat tire yeah. i'm going to drive across town to the other discount tire store that's just as busy or whatever tire store it is if they're going to be the same price and if they were like a hundred dollars i sure the hell wouldn't put them on my car <laughs> <laughs> i'm just i'm gonna okay you got me whatever the price is i guess that's what i have to pay you know before long it's gonna you're gonna have to pay a monthly 25.99 subscription service to bmw to keep your tire <laughs> you know what they tried to do that they tried to do that on, on some uh function bmw tried to it do was that like and seat heaters seat heaters yes and your seat heaters would stop working after the first year they were just going to shut them off and charge you nine bucks a month like if you wanted them and people raised so much holy hell that they quit well good uh yeah now in the in their defense what they came back and said is well you could have just not got seat heaters so this gives people the choice to buy a bmw without yeah i'm not gonna buy i'm 
you know, if I have it, I'm going to buy it. I don't want to get, I don't want any kind of monthly subscription on my automobile. I want to just write a check and then I want to have my car. I don't want to have tires at work. Yes. You know what they could do? They could have a subscription service that gets the, they come out and change your tires at your house. Oh, I was, I was telling Morgan this before we got on air. I was, I was bitching to Morgan about this whole event yesterday. And she said in her town, there is a drive-through tire store drive through you stay in the car you stay in the car she says oh yeah i just drive through Uh, i know kidding i mean there's a good idea way to go i don't want to get out yeah then i don't care how crowded it is i'm just waiting in line like freaking chick-fil-a they've got a you know circle around the building (laughs) there's another one there's always a line at (laughs) chick-fil-a but you're happy to sit oh no i'm thrilled yes i'm thrilled to, to do that but what does that say about our behavior the lines were willing to sit in the lines were not willing to sit in I'll, I'll sit in a Chick-fil-A line. I'll sit in a Chick-fil-A line too. Um, some behavior, we, we have all the control over some. Uh, we are at the whims of the nail spreading discount tire team. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are talking to a behavior expert, Gabriella Nelson, known as the behavior chick, is a board certified behavior analyst in Southern California. She's the founder and CEO of Lively Behavioral Solutions, a provider of applied behavioral analysis services. She has a proven track record of developing and implementing effective treatment plans for individuals with various behavioral health conditions to help decrease problem behaviors and increase communication and self-help skills. She uses her passion for the field of applied behavior analysis, humor, and love for memes to create an Instagram page designed to laugh off the hard days while making concepts relatable to the field. Understandable. Uh, You can check her out at the behavior chick on Instagram. Today, we talked about considering the motivations of your people in your business, how you may be unintentionally punishing your team if you don't understand what uniquely motivates them by directional feedback. So giving and receiving feedback from your employees, assuming ownership for your team's outcomes and giving them the permission to screw up. We had a fun conversation. We got a little nerdy on the be- on the behavior and decisions, but that's what we live for over here. Stick around, check it out, laugh a little bit, learn something. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, I'm with my dad, Sean Smith, and this is Decidedly. How did, how did you get into the field of behavior? Well, actually, um, I was in school to be a special education teacher, and I kind of came across the job as a registered behavior technician. I don't know if you're too familiar with that, but it's working with applied behavior analysis, human behavior to change special needs children's maybe problem behavior, self-interest behavior, so head banging, physical aggression, oh, and then also teaching them replacement skills like functional communication or tolerating denied access, things like that to help them manage their behavior. So through that study, I ended up getting my master's to become a BCBA and study all of human behavior, how it works, why people are the way they are. Um, We do focus on children mostly, but that's, I think, a lot to do with insurance funding funds this program for Mm -hmm. autistic children, children with ADHD, Down syndrome. But it really can be applied everywhere because it's just human behavior. That's got to be pretty rewarding when you look at working with with people who are, think so differently than what you'd come across typically. 
and having yeah. to say, well, how do I adapt, you know, a, a training program or a cognitive awareness program for this person? Because everyone's got to be different. Everyone's probably unique. Definitely. It really changes the way your mind works. And there are four functions of behavior. So those being, we like to use the acronym C, let's see why it's happening, S-E-A-A. So every human behavior, including yours, mine, anyone, any organism actually has the functional behavior of sensory, escape, attention, or access. So when you're looking at those functions and you establish why it's happening, then you can really lead to a lot of that decision-making, thinking about why the behavior is happening, what that person's trying to accomplish. So when you set out in your career, you were motiv- what was motivating you to lean into behavior? Was it a, a calling to work with special needs children or was it, you know, hey, generally psychological area of work is um, appealing to me? Yeah, I think a little bit of both. I love the field of psychology and understanding how human behavior works, but I also love working with special needs children. It's such an award- rewarding job just seeing children talk for the first time or eat food for the first time and get off a feeding tube or uh, be able to have families live their lives again and be able to go in public and not worry about their children being in danger by not being able to realize if they can cross the street or not or if their child's going to elope. Things like that just becomes a really rewarding experience and having the tools and knowledge to do that really just kept my motivation going and really kept me in it and still makes me love my job today. I feel like I'm one of those rare people that they say, if you love your job, you won't work a day in your life. Yeah. I love working. It's so much fun. That's fantastic. You know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because it's such an interesting field as it relates to the decision-making challenges that, that you have to face. Have there been cases that were particularly challenging that you you had to apply different decision-making techniques? So I don't know if you've ever heard the saying of one children, one child with autism is one child with autism. Every program we make is unique to each child because everyone has different reasons why they're doing things. They have different environmental arrangements. Um, kind of the basis of applied behavior analysis is that ba- behavior is related to its environmental variables. So every case is going to be different. And specifically, like if let's use the example of a child hitting, I will never tell a parent what to do based on, hey, my child's hitting. What do I do? Which is what people assume when they think of what we're doing. But when I look at why is it happening? Maybe he's hitting to get access to a tablet. Then I'm going to teach him, hey, we can ask, hey, can I have that tablet, please? And then with reinforcement of that behavior, it ends up increasing. Or some children hit to escape tasks. So when we're saying, hey, it's time to do homework, they're hitting. Now I'm not going to have them ask for that. I'm going to have them ask for a break or to be all done or to delay the task. So when you use that functional communication to change that behavior, it is going to individualize your approaches. And I think it relates to the organizational management too of business owners or business advisors is you should be looking at that with your staff as well because every staff has a different motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. Some people want more access to certain things. They want to escape certain tasks. They want to get attention maybe from their boss. Everyone has their different motivation. And when you figure that out, 
and develop a system based on what you're trying to achieve as that business owner, you can really set up your organization for success. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. The other day I was uh, training jujitsu at the gym and uh, one of the black belts, um, he was sitting on the mat talking to us all afterwards. His name's Damien. He's a smaller guy and he just, you know, he, he beats everybody up and down the mat regardless of their size, right? He's, he's very, very skilled. And somebody asked him a question. They go, hey, Damien, like, you know, when, when the guy's attacking my arm, what do I do? The guy, he, oh, my opponent's attacking my right arm. Um, you know, how do I stop it? And Damien said, I'd heard him say this before. He goes, one thing I've learned in jujitsu is the problem is never where the problem is. I was like, huh? <laughs> what kind of meta, <laughs> what kind of meta nonsense like, are we talking about? <laughs> but, and what he meant was like, wherever this is true in jujitsu, it's true in uh, body mechanics, like physical therapy, wherever the pain point is. Um, you know, my knee hurts. The guy's attacking my arm. He's trying to choke my neck. It's like the problem is not that your knee hurts. The problem is that your hips are tight and they're misaligned and that's causing stress on your quad, which is pulling your knee and, and overextending it, which is causing knee pain. So we need to fix the hip. So the guy's attacking my arm, but the only reason he's able to attack my arm is because I'm not controlling his hips. So I need to get my legs more involved or he's choking my neck and I need to bridge with my, uh, with, I need to, you know, frame with my forearm so that he's not able to get close enough to do that or whatever it is. Like the problem is never where I think the problem is or the problem's never where the pain point is. It sounds yeah. like that's what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly what we see every day. And part of my job is to do parent consultation, teach parents to work with their own children. And I see that a lot because the culture of today and throughout history has always been based on punishment. You see it in our school systems. You see, let's get a detention, let's get a referral out, let's get suspension. You don't see real behavior change. Yeah. You see maybe from your parents or grandparents, like, hey, let's spank them and they need to move on. But I think what a lot of people miss is that punishment is only effective in the moment. Research shows that. So instant gratification. I think we're a culture of instant gratification. People want I want this to stop. Let's do it now. The problem is it's only going to be effective in the moment. So that behavior change, yep, you think that you nipped it, you're going to see it again in the future. You might see it displayed in different ways because it's an access behavior and attention behavior. So it might not always look like hitting. It might look like screaming next time. It might look like crying, whatever it is, because that person's trying to get access or that person's trying to escape whatever's there. So instead, when you use reinforcement, strategies you can actually change that behavior and reinforcement it increases behavior a lot of people think reinforcement is just candy and here's this and almost like a bribery that's not the case there's a specific way to implement this but it's not just all tangibles it can be anything that increases behavior so people listening to your podcast if this is your second third time listening to this podcast something in that was reinforcing for you to listen to it again increased your future behavior of listening to it again. You know, I, I see that a lot is, is that people will work on, because I, I think it's natural. We want to work on the effect end of the, of the funnel rather than the cause end of the funnel, because sometimes okay. the cause end of the funnel is hard to determine and it's harder to fix, right? You know, if, okay. if I can just, I can just discipline uh, somebody or I can take a corrective action to say, um, Maybe I want to work, you know, if I've got employees who are stealing, 
well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down hard on these employees are stealing rather than figure out well, what's happening in the cause. Maybe it's my hiring process. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. I don't need to work on the punishment and the firing. I need to work on the hiring. That's a good point. You know, uh, you know so it's, yeah. it's interesting to do that. When you, when you look at decision-making in a organizational framework, are you finding that there are uh, ways that you can work with the people who are setting the tone for an yeah. organization and help them with their decision making that can work down line. Yeah, absolutely. So what we use in applied behavior analysis, there's like a subpart of ABA, just like kind of how accounting has like audit and tax. ABA has different subparts. So there is the population that works with children with autism and then there's organizational behavior management. And being a business owner myself, this is what I implement in my own practice we got to practice what we preach. We understand human behavior. I got to apply it to my business as well as with my children because I want my staff to be happy. So organizational management is basically the application of behavior analysis to improve that organizational performance. So when you're analyzing and improving behavior of the individuals, you're going to be more likely to be successful. So I'm, there, I'm an outline kind of person. I like to give people like these are the steps to do. So people want to listen or write these down or just think of this in kind of steps. This will be helpful. But first, you want to consider the motivation of the employee and managers. That can impact decision making. If they are motivated by rewards and incentives, they may be more likely to make decisions that benefit the business in the short term even if it's not in the long-term interest of the company. Sometimes you got to just take it day by day, week by week. And so when you find that motivation, you can also do pay for, pay for performance. And a lot of people think pay for performance, here's a semi-annual review, here's an annual review. And that's where it gets really tricky because once the employee thinks that they're not going to reach that goal, you're going to lose that motivation. We know from human behavior that if you lose that motivation, there's no behavior change. And what do you want as a business owner? You want their behavior change to be more successful in your business. And so when you kind of set those, here's the semi-annual, here's that annual, you need to meet these, people think they're not meeting them, it's done. So when you think of it more of a short term, can it be more costly? Maybe if you set it up to still have the profit of your business, you'd want to probably talk to your accountant about how that's going to work. My husband's the CPA, so he's been extremely helpful with those kind of decisions. (laughs) But when you kind of set up the goal, let's say, uh, say you do have a example of maybe some kind of finance system that has multiple steps or something that can be more difficult for employees. For my employees, I can tell you for me, like whenever, whenever I started my own business, um, you know, I, I hired this CPA firm working with them and they're like, okay, cool. Well, we're ready to help you out. Uh, just send us your P&L and your balance sheet. And I sent it to them and they go, this is shit. (laughs) 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 I was like, what? (laughs) I I didn't even read it, you know? And, um, they, they, yeah, they came back. They were like, no, this is horrible. Like you need to, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. And I was like, look, I am not going to start bookkeeping. Like it's not, it's not rocket science, but I guess it was so many steps, so many little things, trying to learn how QuickBooks were. Was it your unique yeah. ability that you ought to be spending your it time It was on? not the best use of my time. 
And so I, yeah, no, it it went horribly. And so I (laughs) hired someone to do that also for me. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. So hiring someone to do your QuickBooks, right? You're going to expect a certain level of performance because now they're managing all of your finances, right? They're keeping track of what you're buying, what you're, um, I don't know too much about QuickBooks, but what your kind of write-offs are, <laughs> things like that. Really that, to manage that side. <laughs> I have a bookkeeper I can introduce you to. Yes. <laughs> My husband does that part. He does okay, QuickBooks. Good. He understands that more. But <laughs> um, when you're wanting to keep that employee motivated, what you could do is set up a paper performance. And so short-term goal, let's say at first you want everything to be tracked from your credit cards you want it all lined up you yeah want, you have certain goals outlined for them basically and so you can pay them for, for that performance hey if you reach this certain goal today is march 20 march 3rd 2023 if you kind of have this organized for these certain months by may 3rd 2023 here's your incentive to do that so then you're going to get better quality of work too maybe they would have done the work anyways because that's what you hired them to do but then you're going to have the quality and the happiness of employees too to keep their motivation going, to keep working for you and to kind of limit that turnover. So that's kind of where that motivation and pay performance comes in. Secondly, you want to think of consequences of behavior that impact future decision-making. If employees are reinforced for certain behaviors, they're more likely to repeat those behaviors in the future. So the whole basic principle of behavior analysis is that consequences shape those behaviors. Reinforcement increases behavior. Punishment decreases behavior. A lot of people think punishment. I'm not yelling at my employees. I'm not reprimanding them. I'm not putting contracts on them. Whatever that punishment, quote unquote, may look like, doesn't matter because it might be punishing in different ways. For example, some people do not like the attention put on them. So when you give them maybe a shout out in a group chat and you're like, hey, great job doing that. That might decrease their motivation in some way because they don't want that attention put on them. Now they're like, oh, that's awkward because now my employee like thinks that I'm like maybe a teacher's pet kind of thing. Like, And now yeah. it's a really awkward situation. So if you don't know, understand your employee's motivation and you can find these by interview questions and asking them maybe even the hiring process, as Sean was saying, is what kind of does keep you motivated? Are you more motivated Most people aren't going to admit I'm attention seeking, (laughs) but you can ask other leading questions to kind of find out, hey, like what kind of makes you feel valued as an employee? And maybe then they tell you, oh, my boss's feedback or, oh, like when I receive a raise or a send and some people have the multiple. I know for myself, I like to have a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm like, I don't want too much of everything. I don't expect too much, but like I want to be noticed. But like if you give me a raise too, that's also great. But and some people want those breaks. Like PTO is really important for a lot of people. And you got to find out how much of that they're expecting and are they going to be happy with that? Um, maybe in that hiring process to see if it aligns with what your company offers. So that's kind of going into the reinforcement and the punishment, but the consequences affect that. If you're yelling at your employee every time, you might decrease their motivation. Now they're not motivated. Maybe they're more than next, likely. Yeah. 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 Next. <laughs> I want, I need to be yelled at. Yeah. Okay. I used to, Some people might be reinforcing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I used to tell my coworkers, like, if I'm doing something that isn't good, you can't, like, kindly suggest that yeah. is the case. Yeah. You need to tell me you're 
screwing up big time <laughs> and it really sucks. And I told and, and I tell my employees that like if I'm doing something that is that's harming you, harming my ability to be an effective leader for you, that's putting undue stress on you, if I'm setting unrealistic expectations, if I'm otherwise being a bad leader, like you can't tiptoe your way into it with me because I'll believe that it's not that big a deal because mm-hmm. I wouldn't tiptoe my way into it with you so if you t- well hey have you considered perhaps well it and yeah. I'm just gonna I'm gonna think like okay well it's like a minor issue for them meanwhile they're screaming inside going Sanger is so overbearing oh my gosh this is horrible <laughs> I hate working for him and so um they, they've like started to do that be like you know I'll I'll give them I give them yet another project. Hey, oh, oh cool, cool. I we're gonna do this, Gabriella. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you set up. You're gonna do this. You're gonna own this project. You're gonna run it. It's gonna be amazing. And then if you turn to me and go, oh, really? You want me to do another fucking project? I'll go, oh, oh, wait a second. I probably <laughs> overloaded you, huh? Yeah, you did. Okay, thank you. Well, that that helps them understand you as well. If you're you're okay. giving them the permission to come at you a certain way. Yeah, you know, I had an experience several years ago when it talks about individual motivation. Uh, I went on one of these retreats years ago, uh, back when it was a thing where you would go and do the, you know, the trust falls and the whole deal. And one of the exercises was you had to climb up this telephone pole and you had to stand on the very top of this telephone pole. And there was this disc at the top that swiveled. And so it was real challenging and you were all roped in. You weren't going to get hurt, but you were going to look stupid if you fell. And so the first guy gets up and, uh, the instructor says, well, you know, what kind of support do you want from the group? And he said, well, just, you know, clap for me, encourage me, tell me I can do it. And we're like, okay, yeah, that seems pretty normal. And so we did, and he, he completed the task. And the second guy gets up, and the instructor says, well, you know, tell them, you know, what you want from the group, how can they motivate you? And he goes, well, just yell at me, you know, call me names, you know, call, <laughs> call me, you know criticize me, you know. Relatable. You know, relatable. Right. Relatable. And so it was really interesting that, the you know, the same task, different people were approaching it in different ways. So I think that's key on the motivation. I've found that when you're looking at consequences, if you're trying to reinforce behavior, getting as specific as possible, in other words, rather than telling somebody, oh, you you did a great job today, how specifically did they do a great job? Yeah. Or or the reverse, right? How specifically did they underperform expectations? Yeah. I think that's key. That is key. And I love that you guys brought that up because that means your reinforcement contingencies are different. And you then you also take that perspective of my employees might not like that and their reinforcement contingencies are different. So when you understand each employee and build that relationship, you really know that. And I like when you described going into my next point of defining measurable objectives. When you're really specific with that, that's going to be key, like you said. And kind of how you do that is an acronym I like to call SMART, like be smart with your objectives. You want to make sure they're specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-based. So that also allows you to have collection of the data on the employee behavior and performance. I know not everyone's a behavior analyst. You're not going to make graphs and everything on the behavior, but you can do this with scales and like just performance checklists and make really make sure that it is achievable and based on that time. If you don't have that time aspect, you might have it go on for six months to a year. And then the person's like, hey, like, are they even noticing that I'm doing this work? Like, make sure they know when you're really going to. So explain more on on the time-based issue around the reinforcements. Are you talking about having uh, positive or negative reinforcements uh, right on the heels of an event or 
giving the person time to have corrective behavior before the consequences impact or get more specific? Yeah, you definitely want to make time for them to have that corrective behavior because if they lose that motivation, they know in six months they already didn't do it. Why try for the next three months if three months into it they already didn't meet their objectives? So you can kind of set it up like let's say you do do semi-annual reviews. Then you want to put it in certain timeframes. Hey, I'm going to evaluate this each month. Give them their score. Hey, this is what I noticed that you need to improve on. Let's check back on it next month. Let's check back on it the next month. Making this really achievable for them in that six-month goal. Some people will hit it. Some people may not. And then you need to evaluate your system and think, okay, this obviously wasn't motivating for them to see what I want them to do. How can I make this more motivating for you? Have you found that there is a certain time frame that is more optimal? It really depends on how large the task at hand is and how motivated that employee is. So sometimes the employee isn't that motivated. Maybe this isn't their passion. Maybe they're in finance or something and it's not their passion. You really need a more denser schedule. Maybe each month you're motivating them. And it doesn't always have to be, people think pay for performance has to be this big raise. You can find out if they like, I don't know, Olive Garden and give them a $50 gift card just because you noticed what they were doing and making them feel special and knowing, okay, this, my employee is actually looking out for me and that's going to keep me motivating. So just like with the children I work with, we have a, at first we have a really dense schedule. Okay. I need to teach you to, let's say... We call it man for items, like request for items. And so at first, every time you say cookie, I'm going to give you a cookie. It's not always for cookie because that would make a lot of children unhealthy, but it could be iPad. Every time you say iPad, I give you the iPad and then I'm holding on it for a little bit. Hey, iPad. Okay, here's the iPad. Eventually, I'm not going to give it to you every time. Like maybe it's like you ask at breakfast time. I'm like, oh, not right now after school that they ask again. Nope, not right now. And then after school, okay, I've had, yes. So that contingency changes. You don't always want to reinforce that. But that's when that specific measurable objective comes into hand. Because if they had already achieved it as your employee, you don't want to reinforce it all the time. Now you want a new specific measurable objective. What do you want them to do next? Now they achieved this, what other steps do you want to see? And sometimes that's just as simple as, doesn't only have to be a huge project. It can be the employee showing up to work on time. Maybe that's the issue. Maybe they're a great employer. Like this employee is the best. If only they'd show up to work on time every day. Put in a reinforcement system for that. If you start punishing it, and maybe for Sanger, maybe he's like, actually, yell at me. I'll show up better. But for a lot of people, maybe shame, shame me publicly. <laughs> for a well, lot of I'll people, never do it again. Reinforcing them. It's probably going to be more effective instead of putting them on contract. Hey, you're late. You're late. You're late. Now they feel awkward about being late. Now next time they're late, find out why they're late and reinforce them for um, being on time. Maybe it's the traffic. Maybe they leave earlier. Maybe they're like, I live an hour away from here and I'm just going to leave when I leave because I'm not motivated to get to work. How can we motivate you to get to work? Mm. So... When you, you talk about small goals or small measurements, um, 
how how does how does the size of what you're measuring impact motivation? So I'll talk to like a lot of fitness coaches that say, you know, a lot of times people fail because they set too big of goals or they set too many measurements. So like I'm gonna eat, I'm gonna eat better, I'm gonna walk this many steps, I'm gonna lift this many weights, I'm work out an hour a day, times, <laughs> I'm gonna do all of these things, and then they can't keep track of them. So I know a lot of coaches who will say, We're gonna start with one or maybe two habits and that's it. Yeah. And that's a lot of there's actually a lot of um, fitness coaches that are board certified behavior analysts nowadays um, because they find that their passion's fitness and they want to use human behavior to set those goals and work on those fitness. Um, we're going to work with fitness people. Um, but yeah, that's a really good point is you have to set those small goals. If you th- think of something too big, it's not achievable. So that's that A part of SMART. If it's not achievable, soon you're going to lose that reinforcement. And that's where a lot of people do fail on their own goals because they're setting too big of goals for themselves. I know when I started my business, I had a to-do list that was pages, like probably like 500 bullet points starting <laughs> business. I need an EIN number. I need to sub an LLC. I need to go to the bank. I set up all those small goals and I would just achieve a few of them a day and have my own reinforcement system. For me, I'm really motivated by chocolate. And so I'd guess box of C's candy, scotch mellows. And I'm like, if I finish this today, I'm going to have my special chocolate because that was a lot of work. And so having those small goals for yourself as well sets you up for success. So yes, with your employees, you want to set the goals. In the coaching work that I do, I try and keep the goals specific enough that we can determine was this goal accomplished within the time frame between now and when we're going to meet again? In other mm-hmm. words, rather than just say, all right, your, your goal is to, you know, be more healthy. Mm-hmm. Your, the goal would be you're going to lose five pounds within 90 days or you know, whatever it is. In other words, can we measure this within the time frame and know that you did it or didn't do it? Mm-hmm. I was doing some work with uh, one of my coaching clients a while back and they had some things that they were supposed to have done and we met again and there were one, one of these things that they had said was not done. And I, I said, Oh, so tell me about this. And they're like, oh, I just didn't get it done. You know, I just didn't do it. And I said, this is great news. And he said, oh, why is it, why is it great news? I said, because now we have real live evidence that either you're not the person to be doing this task. In other words, we need to find somebody else in the organization and delegate it to them. Or it's it's also told us that in the real world, this is not a priority. <laughs> it, it it did not rise to a level. So we we can now appropriately place this uh, this task in its appropriate perspective. If you still if you don't believe that, then we need to get somebody else to do it because you're not the right person, nor do you prioritize it enough. So I said, this is really good information that we have now. Yeah. And so it, it kind of took him by surprise because I think what he was expecting was, oh, you need to buckle down and you really need to do this. And you said you wanted to do it. And why didn't you do it? Um, how do we look at determining in, in terms of decision making? decide which of these objectives, if somebody has a lot of things they're trying to improve, you're working in an organization or with an individual client, there are typically, as Sanger was saying, there are a lot of things I want to do. How do I prioritize? What are the things I really need to work on and and how do I prioritize those decisions? Yeah, that's a good question. I think from a business perspective, it's hard to give you an answer for what you should prioritize because 
every business is going to be different. However, what's critical to the business success is how I prioritize it. And what can wait, what can't wait. If you think that your employee's not showing up on time, can't wait, we got to put in a system now and we got to make it effective. Let's say they need to develop a program or do Sanger's QuickBooks. These need to be organized because Sanger didn't want to do it. And now the QuickBooks um, bookkeeper is faced with that task. How quick do you need your QuickBooks done? You gave him the task maybe in December and you want it all done so that by January, all your bookkeeping is done. How quick do they need that task? So I think evaluating the timeline would help you on when you want those done with the decision making. But I love how you said with that took him by surprise. And I think a lot of business owners need to have your same mindset. Uh, can't talk. Mindset, Sean, is knowing, See, hey. See, that's what I always say to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I say that all the time. Nobody reinforces well, behavior. <laughs> yeah. If you think, hey, this is really good information. This is what didn't work. That's another bullet point I had on those things that were going over motivation and defining those objectives and then evaluating that effective effectiveness. Was that intervention successful? Maybe your intervention wasn't a paid performance. Maybe it was just a training. Hey, I noticed they need more training on this. Okay, next time I go there, they're still not doing this, right? Your intervention wasn't effective. You got to do training. And so oh, that's interesting. What is really cool about behavior analysis too is we have specific ways to train people to do things called behavioral skills training. And that that could be a whole topic on itself too, but basically it has a few steps that you're doing. You're explaining what needs to be done. You're modeling what needs to be done. Let me show you how to do this. And then you're having them show you in front of your face what is happening. Like, show me that you know how to do this real quick. Okay. And then you're giving feedback right there. You're not being like, hey, this is what you need to do, walking away. Maybe if it's an easier task, but if you know this is a complicated task at hand, you want to follow those steps. Now you're giving feedback. Okay, now let's try that again. I noticed that you put this right here. Okay, now let's change it. Yeah, a lot of times people, when they're particularly training, uh, will skip through uh, critical steps in the process because they don't want to insult the intelligence of the person they're training. Right? Well, I'm going to train you how to, uh, whatever, work in this Excel document. And they'll already have the Excel document open, already have columns filled in, already have rows outlined. And they'll be like, okay, so this is how you do the formulas. Well, how do I open Excel? (laughs) Literally, maybe they don't know how to open Excel. And and that actually happened. I saw that happen once where, um, you know, I, I didn't think to ask this person that we hired if they had experience in Microsoft Office because I assumed everyone knew. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought everyone knew that, but um, but this this woman, she was she was older, didn't grow up with computers like I did, didn't you know? There was no Excel class in high school yeah. or college for her, and then she worked at a company that was old school and did everything on paper. Like she literally did not know, and so um, I I saw someone train her, and she was lost, and she was so timid that she wasn't gonna say, "I don't know how to do that." And so they left. They said, all right, this is how you do it. Boom, boom, boom. Gone. Leave. Leave her to do it. Don't give, don't watch her do it. They didn't watch her do it. So they didn't have any opportunity to give her feedback. And she sat there frozen, couldn't open Excel and didn't know what to do. 
And so yeah. like I, I try every time I'm, I'm training someone to go to lead with this preface of, I might spend time on steps of the process that you are an expert in already. I'm doing that not because I think you don't know how to open Excel or you don't know how to tie your shoes or you don't know how to do this very simple task that is integral to the process. I'm doing it because if at the end of this, you fail to gain the appropriate level of understanding, it's my fault, not your fault. So I have to make sure that you know how to do all of it. And if I am talking about something in depth that you already feel like you've mastered, let me know. And a lot of times what will happen is they'll be, they will, um, for whatever reason, maybe they're anxious, they're thinking about their to-do list um, outside of this training session. Maybe they are embarrassed that they don't know how to do this you know, they don't know how to open Excel or whatever the simple task is. And they'll say, yeah, 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 I got it. And it's tempting as a leader to be like, oh, okay. And I move on and not give them the opportunity to, to demonstrate that, yeah. which means I don't have the opportunity to give them feedback. So I go, oh, okay, cool. And then I make them tell me about it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Show me how to do it. Yeah. And sometimes people get frustrated. They're like, look, see, I did it there. And I go, okay, hey, like I said, I'm not, I'm, I, I figured you did know how to do it, but if you did it and I let you go off without knowing how to do it, it's my fault. It's not your fault. And I'm going to be mad at myself. I'm not going to be mad at you. Yeah. And ultimately right? you're creating more work for yourself because you're not going to now yes. have to correct it, teach them again, have them redo their work. Now you lost time. Yeah. I, I learned that from Sean. Like Sean would always ask me um, when I was younger, he would explain something that he wanted me to do and then be like, okay, what did you hear me say? Mm-hmm. And it was always frustrating because it was this would be like, you know, simple household chores or something. Hey, I'm, I need you to go uh, to Lowe's, pick up some mulch, uh, get the red mulch, not the black mulch. You're going to dump that in the flower bed, spread it around using a spade. Um, and uh, then when you're done, water the plants. Okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. And he'd be like, okay, so what you're going to do, you're going <laughs> to go to the Lowe's that's on the corner of 183 and Bryant Irvin. Okay. It's right there. So it's only a five minute drive. Okay. You're going to get the right. I got it. 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 You go, okay, really? What did you hear me say? Mm-hmm. I got you. you I'm going to go to get, get mulch. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to spread it in the flower beds and water the plants. What color mulch? Well, I said it in the first, <laughs> like, <laughs> I said it and I was going to reiterate it, but you said you got it all. What color mulch singer? I go, uh exactly okay so that's why we're doing it in this way oh you're right i I learned that early on in my career there was a uh i I went over to this guy's office who was like the top manager in the country as i drove over to his office in a different city and i said i'm just gonna sit with this guy and learn from this guy who's like the best in the country and so in the first meeting he's talking to one of uh his sales guys and he did just that. He said, all right, well, when you talk to this, this client, here's what I want you to say. And the guy's like, okay, good. All right. You know, and this is a, a you know, adult grown person. Man. <laughs> and so he said, all right, now repeat back to me what I just told you to do. And I'm like, oh, that is so uncomfortable. This guy <laughs> did it, you know? And so afterwards the guy left, I said, wow, you were a little rough on him. He goes, I wasn't rough on him. I demonstrated what he wanted, what I wanted him to do. I observed him doing it and I confirmed that he could do it. If I didn't do those things, I would have left him untrained and I wouldn't be doing my job. And I learned that like Uh early on. Yeah. I don't confirm it 
then it's my fault. Yeah. It's not, I can't be upset with someone that I let walk away without a clear understanding. Yeah. And um, I think that's key, right? If it, it's also key, I think, to make sure that that guy knows you're not treating him like a baby. Yeah. You, know? you don't want to be condescending. Right. There's a way to approach it. That's perfect, right. though. And I think you guys are right. That is key because a lot of business owners miss that. They just give people tasks. They don't understand it. Employees frozen. That's also going to lead to high turnover. And you can establish some of that in like what we call baseline, but you can just with questions like, hey, do you know how to open Excel? Okay, awesome. I'm not going to go over that. Hey, do you know this? And so when you're kind of evaluating what these people need compared to what they already know, you're going to kind of see that. And then their job performance is going better. You can reinforce that. They're more likely to understand that. And then that's creating better leaders too. Because that you said, hey, Sanger, I learned from Sean. And now you're doing it with your employees. Your employees are learning from you. So we're growing more leaders as well. You want people to be successful in the business and take on that leadership role in your business so that next time, hey, Sanger taught me this way. Can you teach this person under you to do it? Yeah. And now they're going to ask, hey, did you understand what I just said? (laughs) And you're like, yeah, this is how you're going to do it. Okay, show me. Awesome. You do know how to do that. Perfect. And then you're just setting up your systems for success. The a couple of years ago, I was I get, gathered my team around. I said, "Okay, listen. We're one thing I realized is our training, our internal training, is not very good. It could be better, and that starts with me. So I'm going to share with y'all how I train y'all, and that way, one is you can hold me to this standard all the time, so that you know that if I don't give you the right training, that you can call me out on it. Yeah." Second is you can train each other and you don't, we're not missing things, right? So here are the steps, right? And the last step is I have you demonstrate to me what you learn, right? So this is a training session where I'm training you on how to train other people. Yeah. So we get through it. I demonstrate it. I talk them through each step. I, I give examples. And then at the end, I go like, all right, Morgan, now you try it out what no we don't we got it we everyone nobody wanted to do it i was like that is literally that is the last step is i have to watch you train someone on something so pick something and train them on it uh but and then everybody everybody who who i was who i was observing was like skimming through the process because it was embarrassing right they didn't want to it's like a little bit uncomfortable to go through this patient process but you have to do that in order to make sure that you don't miss something. And I thought, like, what better example, right? Of, of we're talking about training and you still don't want to do all the steps. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And I love how you set up that expectation, too. We do that for our kids all the time. Here's our expectation. I think if you model that in front of the employees, this is how I train everyone. Then when you go to Megan and tell her like, hey, we're going to do this. How do we do it? Great. And then you go to Rob. Hey, you're going to do this. Okay. Tell me, show me how you're going to do that. Great. You're setting the same expectation for everyone. So then, like you said, they don't feel like they're being treated like a baby. They're like, okay, he just did that to Megan too and did it for Rob. Not, okay, Megan, you're going to do this. Okay. Okay. Okay, Rob, you're going to do this. How do you do it? Show me. That's what would be annoying. Starts with the ownership of the leader is saying, "Hey, you know, I'm. This is my. This is my fault. If if this doesn't work out, it's my fault. If I let you fail, 
without doing this, it's my fault. It's not your fault. I'm not going to be upset with you if I, oh, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I don't have time to go through all the steps. I don't have time to really train you. And you go out there and you screw it up. And sometimes I'll, I'll give, I will intentionally give employees like fewer directions than maybe they want. And I let them know, like, if you fail it, it's on me because I'm not going to spend the time to, to, to walk through this full process. Look, I need, we need brainstorming solution in, in this area. And I want you to go try a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and, and if it doesn't work out, like, here's the thing, I'm not going to sit down for an hour with you and game plan how we approach this project so that you do it in the best way, because I actually don't know. So I want you to go try it. I trust that you're going to figure something out. If it results in a big, you know, expense to us, that's fine. That's just the cost of me like getting this hour back. And I've had that happen a couple of times where employees will be like, well, what is, you know, what, what if, what if this fails and then it costs us money or, or what if it breaks and then, you know, we have to spend $5,000 in to fix it or whatever. I go, look, and that's, that one's on me. I promise ahead of time, I'm not going to be bad at you. And sometimes they look at me and go, okay. <laughs> All right. So you gave me opportunity, you know, you gave me freedom to screw it up. Yeah. I, I think it's important when you look at making decisions for leadership in organizations like that, that you, that you have that vulnerability to apply that to yourself in terms of the recognition of different readiness levels, because those will require different types of decisions in, in training and leadership. And so, for example, I've, I found that uh, as an owner of a business for years and years and years, I had gotten away from doing certain technical tasks. There was a financial analysis tool that we would do, but I had long since hired other people to do it for me in the organization. And so I was in a situation where I was needing to go in and, and work on this, uh, this financial analysis for a client. So I went to the, uh, one of the analysts and they started, uh, trying to explain how to do it to me, but they started it at step 12 or something like that. And I, I said, Oh, you know, when you go into the, you know, that tab, you just put this in. And I said, re remember that regardless of where I am in the organization, I don't have recent relevant successful experience doing this particular task. And so don't let this halo effect of all the credibility I might have impact how you lead me on this task yeah. because I do not know how to even open the tool. Yeah. So you're going to have yeah. to start at step one with me on this because I don't have recent relevant successful experience doing this. It's like a mechanic coming up to you and being like, okay, so after you've taken the alternator out, and you're like, right. yeah. first of all, what's the alternator? Yeah. What is that? And where is it? And what does right. it do? Yeah. yeah, I gotta break those skills down, definitely. And I think that's a good point, is both of you guys have mentioned, like, people, like, look at you, like, okay, I don't want to screw this up, or, oh, hey, like, this person takes authority over me. And I think that's where businesses also need to change, is it needs to be a team environment. And that's going to be critical to the, a business success. If, yes, you want to respect your boss. I'm not saying don't respect your boss and think, okay, I know more than you. But as a boss, it's okay to hire people that are smarter than you, know more than you. That's a great person I, I to have on your team. I better be hiring people smarter yeah. than you. I, I think you should hire people smarter than you. Yeah, you have to. It's a downward spiral if you've yeah. done that. Because if not, though, people have these egos like I'm the boss. I want to do this. Some people go into business because they're like, I want to boss you over people around. And anyone in business knows 
I'm the one being bossed around. <laughs> like, in no, the, I, you're and, kind of taking the, that lead. It's like even, okay, so if you're a business owner and you're thinking, well, but but I run the show, but I'm I'm the big man on campus, but like, I, you know, you got, the, you're puffing your chest out thinking, oh, I do know more than anybody. All right. Think about it purely selfishly. What do you want to get out of your business? Do you want to work more or less? Right. Did you start a business so you could work 100 hours a week or did you start a business so you could make more money spending less time doing things you don't want to do? Okay, well, just be a selfish asshole for a second and think, <laughs> how's the best way for me to get to the point where I'm working less? Yeah. Is to be the dumbest, most useless person in your business. <laughs> <laughs> Have everybody else be better at what they do. You know, it's interesting. There's a, there's a book by Dan Sullivan called Who Not How that, that talks about that issue around looking at solving business issues. And so many times as business owners, we, we think we have to make the decision on how am I going to solve this issue? And what the question really should be is, is who do I decide to give this issue to? Uh-huh. Who is best to make this decision, resolve this yeah. issue, complete this task? And so many times we don't think about it that way. We don't think the who, we, we think of the, the what or the how, yeah. but we should be thinking of the who as, as leaders. That's a really yeah. good point. And, and I, one thing I've learned is that it's continual, constant reinforcement of that mindset to myself and to my employees to say, hey, look, like I, I trust that you're going to handle this. You're in this role because I expect that you know better than me. I actually trust your judgment more than I trust my own. It's not It's not that I just don't want to do it. And that's yeah. why I hired you to do it, to do the things I don't want to do. It's I trust that you're going to make the right decision. And I might disagree. It's okay. You might come back and be like, hey, we're going to do this. And I might be in a bad mood and I might be an asshole and I might say, why did you do that? And then you know what's going to happen is you're going to have a defense for it because you researched it. You made a thoughtful choice and you're going to come. And that happens all the time is I'll be like, oh, why'd you, you know, Morgan, why'd you do, why'd you do it this way? Well, <laughs> well, here's all the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I quickly like realized, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I realized I don't know anything. And yes, you're right. You got it. I trust your judgment. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Yeah. But I'm going to be wrong too. Well, that, that was something that, uh, you know, so we spoke to Jennifer Moss on the on the podcast uh, multiple episodes ago. It was early on. And uh, so she's a burnout expert, you know, dealing with how do you prevent and deal with burnout in organizations <laughs> and what decisions do you make to rectify that if it's happening. And one of the things she said is that many employees, one of the biggest things that they want is agency over their role. <laughs> and they want to have feel that they have power to make those decisions and yeah. so i think it's really a good decision so to to say you know hey i trust you uh i want you to make this decision no i'm going to give you the authority to have agency over the role you got to be patient through the recovery process of someone who is traumatized by a former boss who might be you who didn't let them do that yeah and that's what i've learned yeah is that you know all, most people um in my experience, have had someone in their life, whether it was a former employer, um, a parent, a spouse, a, a girlfriend in high school that didn't let them have agency. Mm-hmm. Everyone's had that experience yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And for some of the people who worked for me, that was me at one time, even maybe if only briefly, right? It was like, I wasn't doing a good enough job of letting them have agency. And so simply saying, like I trust your judgment once or no, you got this. Like I want you to own your role. 
that's not going to do it because they've built, they've had so many negative reinforcement Mm -hmm. moments of, of not doing that or, or trying to have judgment and getting chastised or, or having their failures highlighted or having me sit there like a dumbass and go, why'd you do that? (laughs) Well, I have to continually reinforce that like almost in every interaction until they really believe me and trust me that I mean it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not just saying that. <laughs> and yeah. I like how you welcome the, well, why? You did the research. Why is that happening? Because then you're promoting that bi-directional feedback, which a lot of agencies miss as well. Like, hey, not only am I giving you feedback, you give me feedback on why you think that is the case. Some people aren't going to want to give that to you just in a not just what project sense, but just overall is maybe like they're hold, holding it in like, oh, great. Like now I'm overloaded, but they're saying that in their head. Or if you give them an anonymous form, hey, Google Forms can make an anonymous form for you real quick. You send it out open-ended questions. What can I do as a boss to make you feel more supported? What can I do is this? You don't even need to know who necessarily that specific person is. You might just reflect on yourself and know, okay, this is good feedback. I didn't realize I was doing that too much. And so welcoming that bi-directional feedback in your organization is really going to create those people that can take those leadership positions and have agency. Yeah. Uh, what I really care about is not necessarily that all solution, all everything that my employee decided was the exact right and best choice because we're never going to get to that's an unattainable standard. <laughs> what I do care about is that they have some sort of defense. Like you've written your thesis in your head for why you've done this in this way. And so I'll tell people, look, I, I don't care how you do it. I don't know what the best way is to do it. All I care is that when you do it and I ask you why you did it, then you know every step of the, you have some sort of justification. Uh-huh. Even if it's a bad justification, even if it's not the best justification, <laughs> is that you thought about it? That's a that's improvement from just throwing something together, right? Yeah. And the answer can't be, well, because was, that was easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why I did it that <laughs> way. Why'd you decide that in this system, step seven needed to be written that way? Yeah, what was your decision-making process? Yeah, as long as you have an answer, I'm going to be happy. Yeah. Right. Well, thanks for being here, Gabriella. Uh, this was really fun. Where can people connect with your work? Uh, find you on Instagram and your website. Uh, my handle on Instagram is at the behavior chick. So I mostly post a lot of principles on how to deal with children and their maladaptive behaviors, how to teach them important social skills, self-help skills. Like you'll see fun ways of how we do that and using reinforcement in a fun way of learning. We learn through play. So that's really fun. Um, my website for my business is livelyaba.com. Um, I own a behavior ABA agency to work for special needs children, provide parent consultation and provide services with therapists under my supervision to help um, shape those behaviors in children. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so yeah, much for having me. It's been such a good was- discussion and b- bouncing off each other and being able to think about these things. It's helpful to talk to other business owners as well and think, okay, you guys are doing this. This is awesome. So keep up the great work. Thanks. It's great talking to you. That was a fun conversation with Gabriella. My takeaway from the discussion was something she said. It was really sort of a sequence of, of thoughts or decisions on how you interact with people that you're leading and looking at number one, what is determining what their motivation is or goals or objectives or behavior looking at having uh, she called it pay for performance but uh, 
small rewards for that incremental behavior and then looking at what are the consequences. So either that's a reward or, an, or negative reinforcement and then looking at measurable objectives. So just as you move along, how do we measure based on specific measurable, attainable, realistic timeframes, uh, how we're progressing. And then what she said at the end, which I, I thought was interesting is, is circling back and determining if that intervention or if your input on that leadership is being effective. In other words, how are you, did, did the things that I do, were they working? And if they weren't, how do I decide to, to make adjustments in those? So it was a, it was a process she went through, but I, I thought that last step of evaluating and reviewing your decisions as it relates to the leadership, so, so many times people miss and they, they don't go back and do it. 100% agree. Bidirectional feedback was a real reinforcement for me in this conversation. It's something that I think is easy for me to forget. It, it It's easy for the inertia of the day-to-day of the business to allow me to forget to remind my employees that I need their feedback as much as they need mine and probably more, you know, because I'm less likely to get it. <laughs> I'm very freely giving my feedback to them and maybe too freely, but I want the feedback. I want the feedback from our clients. I want the feedback from my employees and uh, I desperately need it because it doesn't come usually without asking. Yeah, or giving people the permission to to give it. You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of Decidedly. Make another great decision and leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives. For more daily decision-making insights, check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith, and this is Decidedly. Insights, advice, and comments provided by Sean Smith, Sanger Smith, and speakers identified as part of the Decidedly podcast should not be considered recommendations. Speakers not identified as members of Decidedly are expressing their opinion, and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of the Decidedly team. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes, not personalized advice.